Today on the Matt Walsh Show, a very special announcement coming up in just a second. And also, Democrats have already defunded police departments across the country amid a surge in violent crime. Now, they've unveiled their brilliant next step. Stop building jails, because that will surely solve the crime problem. And five headlines, including women inmates, speaking of jails, and former inmates speaking out about men being put in cells with them. Uh, where Where is the compassionate left on that? Plus, Katie Hill sues various media outlets over the nude photos of her that they published, and she loses the case. Now she has to pay $100,000. What do we think about that? And more information comes out about the UFOs that infest our skies. Are they really technology from outer space or from foreign adversaries? And if they are from foreign adversaries, should we be concerned that our own military is more focused on diversity and inclusion than on defending our nation? All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Before we begin today, I want to revisit something briefly that we discussed yesterday. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez posted pictures of her abuela's dilapidated home in Puerto Rico, uh, blaming the Trump administration for the squalid conditions that her grandmother is forced to live in. Now, I and plenty of other people pointed out that perhaps AOC herself, being a wealthy and famous politician, might want to reach into her own pocket and help her poor abuela. You would think she has more than enough resources to do that. But we have to understand that AOC has other expenses um, that she has to attend to. She just bought a Tesla, for example. You know, those those payments can be pretty expensive. And she spends a lot, I'm sure, on organic produce at Whole Foods. Have you ever seen the organic produce section at Whole Foods? Very expensive. She just, the point is, she just isn't able to fix her abuela's ceiling, which is currently in the process of collapsing. That's why she posted a picture of it and blamed Donald Trump for it. And I understand all of that, and I want to help. So today, I'm going to be launching a GoFundMe campaign to help AOC's abuela. And this is totally serious. We're really going to launch this. And uh, I'll be kicking off the effort by donating some, some of my own money to this effort. You know, I'll have more information about the fundraising drive very soon. But for now, I, you know, I, I just want AOC's abuela to know that, that I care, even if her grandmother daughter doesn't. Help is on the way. More on on that later on today. Um, Now, on to the topic at hand. As we know, there is an epidemic of violent crime all across the country. This epidemic is really just an extension of a worsening of the epidemic that had already been plaguing many major cities for decades. As Democrats move to defund police departments, release prisoners from jail, or keep them out of jail to begin with, Many cities are seeing their already existent violent crime problem surge now to terrifying new levels. Selecting just a few examples here, homicides in Los Angeles are up 44% from 2019 and nearly 27% over 2020. Aggravated assaults and other violent crimes have also seen a precipitous rise. Violent crime in New York is up 22%. In Seattle, they're dealing with their highest homicide rate in over a quarter century. In Chicago, shootings are up 36%, 36% over the previous year, and they were really bad the previous year too. Atlanta, Baltimore, Austin, et cetera, have all seen similar spikes. As incarceration rates go down and the prison population decreases and police departments shrink, violent crime rises. It's almost as if there might be some kind of correlation here. I don't know. Fewer people in prison, prison populations going down, 
fewer police officers, crime is going up. I, I, there, there are just a lot of dots here that seem to be collecting, and it, it's almost like you, could, you might be able to connect them. I don't know. In fact, there, there are more dots than that that possibly could be connect, uh, connected because there's a very specific pattern to some of this stuff. So take just the latest, and this is the latest one, one of the latest ones, uh, the latest random assault against an Asian person. This one was in New York. Uh, first, let, let's play the local news report on the incident, and maybe you can pick up on some of the patterns that are coming to light here. Let's watch. On Monday night, on Memorial Day, a 55-year-old Asian woman was returning from grocery shopping when she was suddenly punched. The victim fell to the ground on her butt and rolled back. The back of her head hit the outdoor dining frame, and she passed out. Her eye just shut off. Thankfully, Good Samaritan stepped in to tend to the victim and to make sure the attacker did not escape. Police arrested 48-year-old Alexander Wright and charged him with assault as a hate crime. Records show Wright, who was homeless, has been arrested 17 times. A history of alleged violence, a pattern of going right back on the street. So what's the pattern? Well, first of all, um, there that was not a white man committing that assault. Asians are being targeted across the country, but despite what the media might want you to believe, this wave of hate crimes is not being driven by white supremacists. But the other noticeable pattern is that the man had collected arrests like their trophies, 17 prior arrests, several of them for violent crimes. And yet he ends up back on the street after each crime, never with apparently any intention to, to stop committing crimes. Just put him back on the street. You know he's going to commit another crime, and he does, and repeat the process forever. This is a violent criminal known to the system as a violent criminal, and yet allowed to remain on the street, victimizing innocent people. And you notice this with most of the attacks we've heard about uh, these attacks against Asian people. Most of the cases we've, we've heard about, most of the time, it's someone who's been randomly assaulting people for years, like a hobby. We noticed this with many of BLM's criminal martyrs, men who had committed one crime after another and yet were still on the street. So what's the answer to this problem? Well, not to give her the stage yet again, uh, as, I, as I did in my opening monologue yesterday, but um, it's not my fault that she keeps saying stupid things, so what can I do? AOC has an idea, which she explained during a press conference yesterday. This is her idea for what we can do about all the crime. This is what she says. If we want to reduce violent crime, if we want to reduce the number of people in our jails, the answer is to stop building more of them. The answer is to make sure that we actually build more hospitals. We pay organizers. We get people mental health care and overall health care, employment, et cetera. It's to support communities, not throw them away. Yeah, first of all, I will be expecting a press conference like that to thank me for the, for the, the help that I'll be giving her abuela. Um, I'm not going to hold my breath, but she says the answer to crime is to stop building jails. Sure. Just as the answer to obesity is to stop manufacturing scales, the answer to kidney disease is to tear down the dialysis clinics, the answer to paralysis is to stop making wheelchairs. You know, if you don't have, um, if you don't have the thing that is meant to address a certain problem, then you no longer have the problem, apparently. I also threw out a bottle of Tylenol yesterday and it cured my headache. It, it's amazing how this works. 
The problem, of course, is that uh, in reality, if you have fewer jails and fewer people in jails, the people who would otherwise be in jail have to go somewhere. And in this case, they will go back into their communities where they will become the problem of someone other than AOC or her fellow Democratic lawmakers. Always remember that the people telling us to tear down the jails and the police departments, they are almost every time in nearly every case, people who live in communities where violent crime is not a major issue to begin with. It's easy for them to have compassion for violent criminals because someone else will have to pay the price for their compassion. And you'll notice that about Democratic leftist compassion. This is the way it always goes. Someone suffers because of it, and it's not them. Now, true compassion means taking on someone's suffering, sharing in their suffering, suffering alongside them. It means that you, as the compassionate person, are, are the one suffering alongside the, the person. But that's not how leftist compassion works. You see, you will suffer for their compassion. Your family pays the price. Your children. They're not alleviating injustice or suffering. They are, at best, transferring it from one place to another. And never onto themselves. Because they're standing off at a, at a safe distance. Only in this case, there is no injustice in sending criminals to jail. There may be some suffering for them, sure. I imagine there's a lot of suffering in jail. But... um. They deserve it. Their suffering is just. If you're a criminal, especially a violent criminal, and you suffer in jail, you deserve it. Your suffering is earned. I'll even say this. Your suffering is good. It is good for violent criminals to suffer. It's good even for them. Criminals should suffer. We should make them suffer. They should pay a price for their crimes. No, but what Democrats say is they shouldn't suffer. You should. This is not compassion. It's sociopathy. So what's the real answer to violent crime? Well, I mean, what should we, re we really do about it? What policies should we put in place? Well, how about this radical idea? Just try to stay with me on this. We could arrest the criminals put them in prison, and keep them there. Three-step process. I mean, really, it's two steps. Arrest the criminals, put them in prison, and then they stay there. So you punish them. You make them suffer for their crimes. Make them pay the price, and make the price a steep one. How's that for a novel concept? How is that for reform? You want reform? That's what the reform should be. Now let's get to our five headlines. Now we check in with ZipRecruiter. You know, recent data shows that out of all the female-owned businesses, it's estimated that one in three is owned by a mom. Not the same mom, but I mean, they're all different moms, presumably. Ever wonder how these amazing moms and dads find time to hire for their businesses while juggling their families? Well, with ZipRecruiter, that's how they do it. And right now, you can try it for free only at ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh. CEO and founder Talia Goldstein is one such entrepreneur. Besides being a mother of two, her personalized matchmaking company, 3 Day Rule, is constantly growing, and she needs to hire several matchmakers a month. 
So that's why she uses ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology helps her find people with the right experience and actively invites them to apply. So it's not just uh, like you're putting the, the listing up and hoping that someone finds it. They are actively finding people for you to fill that job. Four out of the five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. You just can't beat those kinds of results. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this web address, ZipRecruiter.com Walsh. This special offer is only good at ZipRecruiter.com Walsh, W-A-L-S-H. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, uh, and I, I, uh, the other big news, of course, is if you're watching uh, the video podcast on YouTube or on Daily Wire, I'm sure you've noticed my uh, wonderful shirt, which says the end is near with a, a UFO on it. Um, I don't know if you see, this is why we need the, the second camera angle, because th that really gives you the shot of the shirt. I don't know if you can get it in the main camera, but that's just, we should just stay with this camera the entire show just to get the shirt in the shot. Uh, now, my my wife bought this shirt for me. She actually bought it for me on her birthday because she went out shopping on her birthday and she bought me something. It was I didn't plan that. She just did. And um, she originally told me, because I, I said I wanted to wear this shirt on the show, and she told me that I better give her credit for buying it for me. Um, but then she came back a few minutes later and said, well, never mind. I don't want people to think that I agree with you on the alien stuff because I don't. So she wants that to be made clear. But what will be really funny, though, is, um, is if, if she, she doesn't want anyone to think. She, she, wants, she wants people to, to know that like, the, the alien thing is all me. It is not shared in the family. It is not a mental illness that the whole family shares. But it'd be really funny if um, people went on Twitter and tagged my wife and said, like, hey, uh, I heard you're a big fan of aliens. I heard you're a big believer. Welcome to the club. That kind of thing. That'd be funny. Um, all right. Let's start here. We got a bunch of headlines today. We might end up with more than five. I don't know. I got to get we a lot of some leftover ones. I want to get through all these before the week is over. So we'll start with this uh, pretty big headline, I think. A very important message on mental and physical health that uh, I want to share with you. Well, in fact, the government wanted to share with us, and I'm going to share it with you. This is an important message on mental and physical health from your very own assistant health secretary, who is an expert on both subjects. Listen to this. Throughout my career, I have focused on the intersection between medical, mental, and behavioral health. And as your ash, I will continue that focus and support policy initiatives to improve Americans' physical and mental well-being. There's the message. First of all, as your what? As your, it sounded like as your ass, but I'm, but I'm assuming, what even more? Oh, Ash, maybe, oh, a assistant secretary of health. Okay, well, that makes sense. Anyway, um, so a, a, uh, a person who is a, a morbidly obese male who identifies as a woman is um, an expert now on mental and physical health. Maybe I don't need to go into any greater detail in, uh, you know, discussing the irony of this. You can probably fill in the blanks yourself. And we can continue. Uh, next, we have this from the Daily Wire. Former and current female inmates, speaking of uh, prison populations, former and current female inmates from liberal states like California, Washington, are speaking out about gender laws which allow biologically male inmates who identify as female to share prison cells with them. 
One woman recalled sharing, and this gets a little graphic, by the way, just a fair warning, but I think um, everyone needs to know what's going on here. So, um, a little graphic, but one woman recalled sharing a cell with a man who sustained, quote, a full erection. Another noted how female inmates, um, many victims of past sexual assault, are arming themselves out of fear of victimization from 300-pound men who, quote, look like Hercules. Um, those women spoke to Abigail Schreier, author of Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze, Seducing Our Daughters, a book which I read recently and I've talked about on this show, and I would highly recommend that book to everyone. Um, but they spoke with her, and she, she, was, she was talking about their, their plight. Former inmate Tyrena Griffin told Schreier that, quote, many of the men who are transferring there aren't even on hormonal uh, medication. She told the author, quote, they're getting a full erection. So you're locked in this room 24-7 with a man, and there's nothing you can do about it. If you tell the police you don't want to live with a man or you're afraid or whatever, you'll get a disciplinary infraction. So you're basically punished for being scared. Uh, another former inmate, Amy Ichikawa, explained that Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla does not separate inmates based on severity of crime due to the nature of women's facilities being significantly less violent than men's facilities. So when biologically male inmates are transferred in, they're mixed with inmates without regard to the nature of their crime. Ichikawa said, quote, we're all mixed together. The people who've murdered their children are in the same room as the people who've stolen boxers from Walmart. And uh, it's, it's worth reading this report because it goes into to more detail than that. And all of it is absolutely horrifying. Now, I said just a moment ago that prisons are a place of suffering. There's no doubt about that. And that's not a bad thing. Because if you're a criminal, you should suffer. I mean, all criminals should suffer, just not to the same degree. I mean, obviously, someone who steals boxers from Walmart isn't going to suffer. It shouldn't be made to suffer in the same way that a violent criminal or murderer should. But there should be a, a punishment. See, that's the thing. With, with uh, now, now I'm kind of backtracking to the other conversation. We'll, we'll, we'll loop back around in a second. But we have to be clear... And I think we have this muddled idea these days about what prison even is and why it exists in the first place. And I would say that it exists for two reasons, and they're equally as important. One reason is to segregate dangerous people from society. That, that's part of it. That's really important, especially if you live in one of these communities where these violent criminals tend to, uh, tend to also live. But we can't forget the other part of it is punishment. It is an actual punishment. And part of being punished is suffering. And that is good, again, for society. It helps to maintain a properly ordered society. It helps to keep society safe. There's also a deterrent element to it. Uh, but it's good for the, for the criminal to have to suffer and to confront the severity of their own crimes. And that's how, if there's any chance of reconciliation, if there's any chance of of personal reform, of turning a new leaf, it's not going to happen unless uh, the people who commit these crimes are made to suffer. So, so there, there, that's that. There should be suffering in prison. But there's also a concept of cruel and unusual punishment, which is in our Constitution, and that's a good thing. Because, as I said, there, there's a limit, and there are degrees of suffering. And this is all supposed to be calibrated based on the severity of crime and everything. So putting women, 
Many of them, not even violent criminals, you know, shoplifters, uh, illegal drug users, and so on. Locking them in cells with, with these large, violent men for 24 hours a day, that is cruel and unusual punishment. It is unconstitutional. It is a, it's a, a, a horrifying form of torture and neglect. And these women are being literally silenced. We, we hear so much about, well, women are being silenced. In most cases, that's not the case at all. Most of the women who are out screaming that they're being silenced, well, they're screaming and we hear them, so they're not being silenced. But these women in prison, they are literally being silenced. As we heard from one of them, one of them say, if they if they speak out against it or if they object, if they say, "Hey, um, this is a this is a dude you've just put me in a prison cell with. This is a dude who isn't even making an effort to pretend that he's a woman." If they say that, they get a, they get punished for it. If you care, if you really cared at all about number one, women's rights, and number two, um, the the unjust suffering and the unjust punishment of of criminals, if you cared about any of that or all of it, then you'd be speaking out loudly about this. You'd be holding press conferences about this. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, she's not going to say a damn word about this. Is it because she doesn't know? Oh, she knows. Is, she, is it because she doesn't realize that it's insane to be putting, taking women and putting them in prison, in jail cells with with three hundred pound men? Does she not real? No, she realizes it's, that it's insane. Also, despite how it may seem, most of these Democrats, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, look, look, they're radical, they're dishonest, um, but they're most of them are not stupid. You know, it may it may seem like they are, but they're 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 not, at least they're not as dumb as they come across. They know what they're doing, and they know that this is wrong. But they're not going to say anything about it because they care more about their ideology than the suffering of anyone, including women. Um, and and all of this is based on you know we're we're putting men in women's prisons. It's based on the honor system. Like you, you might as well just uh, have no bars and no walls in the prison, and and base the entire thing on the honor system. You know, here's your here's your spot where you're supposed to be in jail for the next 27 years. We're not gonna have any guards. We're not gonna have any any walls or anything. Honor system, okay? I mean, you're you're a murderer. I'm, I'm sure you. I'm sure I'm sure we can trust your personal sense of honor and integrity. So on the honor system. They're letting men into women's prisons because the men claim that they identify as women or really feel deep down that they're women. There's, there's no way to confirm that. It's just they said it. And so, oh, who would lie? This is a, this is a, a, a murderer and sex offender. He wouldn't lie about this. And of course, even if we could confirm that they really do identify as women, that wouldn't make a damn bit of difference because they still don't belong in women's prisons because they're not women. Um, but the point is that a lot of these guys, they don't even really identify as women. They identify as far as just saying, oh, yeah, I'm a woman. 
In fact, if, if you're a violent male criminal in a place like California, why wouldn't you at this point just come out and say, yeah, yeah I'm a woman too. Some of the women's prison. That's what a lot of them are doing, and uh, we have to respect their self-identity. All right, next, this is from LA Mag. It says, former uh, Southern California Congresswoman Katie Hill has been dealt another blow in her lawsuit against her ex-husband and two media companies for publishing nude photos of her without consent. On Wednesday, Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Yolanda Orozco ordered Hill to pay British tabloid The Daily Mail $103,000 in attorney fees and $1,100 in costs. This follows Orzoko's uh, April ruling to dismiss the mail as a defendant in the case in which Hill sued the paper along with ex-husband Kenny Heslap and conservative media outlet Red State, arguing that publishing the compromising photos uh, allegedly provided by Heslap constituted revenge porn, which is illegal in 46 states. Um, at the time, the judge declared that Hill's nude image could be published against her will because they were a matter of public issue or public interest, which spoke to Hill's character and qualifications for her position. So th- this is actually kind of shocking. This is a judge in, in California, Los Angeles judge, s- coming down against a, uh, a former Democratic lawmaker and a female judge, too, who's claiming that she's the victim of a sexist attack and revenge porn and everything. And the judge is saying that, that Katie Hill has to pay the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail, which published the nude photos, Katie Hill has to pay them 100 grand rather than the other way around. Is it the right ruling? I would say yes, absolutely. Uh, Katie Hill tweeted and said, a judge just ordered me to pay the Daily Mail more than $100,000 for the privilege of them publishing nude photos of me obtained from an abuser. The justice system is broken, broken for victims. Our fight continues. Please chip in if you can. And then, of course, there's a link for the fundraising page. Um, this is another one of those situations where if you want to know what the right thing is, just imagine the same situation, but with the identities switched around a little bit. Make a, make a few little minor alterations. And imagine that this is a male lawmaker. Let's make him a Republican also. A male Republican lawmaker who was involved in uh, a sexual relationship with a staffer significantly younger than himself. And those photos leaked to the media and were published. Would there be any notion that they shouldn't have been published or that he's the victim now and should be paid money because of it? No, everyone, Katie Hill included, would be saying, no, this is a sex scandal. You're a lawmaker. What you did was unethical at best, if not illegal. And uh, this is the evidence of it. And it is, it's, it's the public, it's public interest. The public has a right to know that you're doing this. Remember, these are the same people who for years prior to the Katie Hill case had, and this was the whole, really the whole basis of the Me Too movement. They, they had said that you know, consent is not just a matter of someone, of, of, of both partners agreeing verbally to do a certain thing. What they've told us is that even if you get con- verbal agreement, it may still be a form of sexual assault because of power dynamics. And so if you have power, if you're in a position of power over someone else and they agree to be involved in a sexual relationship, it can still be rape or sexual assault because they weren't in a position to say no. That's what we were told. Many men have had their lives destroyed, rightly or wrongly, based on that logic. Well, applies here too. 
by their logic, Katie Hill's a sexual abuser, by their logic, by her logic. And this, uh, these photos were evidence of that. All right, next, the state of Florida is free and, uh, and open and having a blast, has been for a while, but the left can't admit that. So it's always funny to see the lengths they go to in order to make it seem like Florida is some kind of dystopia. You know, for example, Jimmy Kimmel, who, um, and I'm not just saying that, and this is Jimmy Kimmel, right? Not Jimmy Fallon. I get them confused. Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel. And I'm not just saying this because of his politics, but I, I, have, I have never heard him tell a funny joke. I don't really get the whole Jimmy Kimmel thing. Um, but he, uh, here is him on a show last night talking about Florida. And yeah, he's, he's making a quote-unquote joke. But listen to, to, to what he says about Florida. In America's North Korea, the Sunshine State, from time to time, we enjoy taking a look at what's going on. And tonight we are doing it again in a Governor DeSantis edition of This Week in Florida. I am proud to be here today in the Everglades as we kick off registration for the 2021 Python Challenge. Participants who remove the most pythons and who capture the longest pythons will receive prizes. <laughs> Unfortunately, all the prizes are pythons, so it's a it's a pythonathon going on there in Florida. Uh, so, I mean, the, the the only joke there is just, oh, look at these look at these hicks! But isn't that funny? What are they doing catching pythons? Well, by the way, just so you know, uh, the it's it's actually it's not it's not funny. It's not, it's, I'm, I'm not saying it's not funny. Oh, that's not funny. Like I'm offended. It's just not funny. It's. Uh, they're catching the pythons because pythons are an invasive species species in the uh, in the Everglades, and they've been introduced, I guess, by pet owners who got pythons. For why would you ever want a python or a snake of any kind as a pet? And I'm not, I'm not even afraid of of snakes, like I am of spiders. But what what do they do? They just lie there. What do you like? What kind of bond are you developing with a snake? But anyway, pet owners they get the python and realize, hmm, you know. I don't know if this makes the best pet. And they release it out into the wild, and now they become an invasive species and are wreaking havoc on the ecosystem. Um, so this is not only makes sense for them to do this down there in Florida, to incentivize people to go out and, and find these pythons and destroy them, but it's also environmentally conscious. It's, uh, it's eco-friendly. Okay? It's about protecting the ecosystem. But before that, Jimmy Kimmel says that Florida is America's North Korea. What? Like, I get these trying to make a joke, but the joke has to have some basis in reality or it's not funny. Um, Florida is America's North Korea. Florida is now and has been the most open and free state in the country. It's open. It's free. People are having a good time. At North Korea? What? No, that would be an analogy that works for states that were locked down for a year and you had to get permission from the government to you know, get, get like a permission slip to go walk your dog outside for 25 minutes. Okay, that would be a North Korea type situation. Florida is America. That's like saying, it's like saying, um, uh, hey, you know, I went to, Gordon, to, to Golden Corral the other day. It's like America's Ethiopia. No, it's, it's the opposite of that. Is that supposed to be the joke? They just can't bring themselves 
to admit that they, 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 everything worked out well in Florida. It worked out better than it, than it did in almost any other state. And they can't, and they hate that. You know, you have to understand, people like Jimmy Kimmel, they are so angry that Florida was not hit as hard as places like New York. They wish that thousands of more Floridians had died. They'd be happy. Okay, and I'm not, this, this, this is just the fact. If, if the coronavirus were to come surging back suddenly in Florida tomorrow and 20,000 people died in two weeks in Florida, Jim, someone like Jimmy, he would be ecstatic. He would have trouble containing his enthusiasm. He wishes that that had happened. And he's so upset that it didn't. That goes for almost everyone else in media, too. All right, what else do we got here? Um, all right, I'll, I'll mention this as well. This is from the Daily Wire. Also, it says, pop singer Ricky Martin said he, haven't heard much about him in the last 20 years or so, but uh, Ricky Martin said he still suffers from PTSD from a 20-year-old interview he did with Barbara Walters in which she inquired about his sexuality. Speaking to people to commemorate the month of June, uh, what some people refer to as Pride Month, the Live in La Vida Loco singer said he got, gets a fit of anxiety when he reflects upon the interview with Barbara Walters. Though R Ricky Martin openly declared his sexuality in 2010, rumors swirled prior to his coming out. Um, and so he was asked about it. And now he says, uh, uh, when she asked the question, I felt violated because I was just not ready to come out. I was very afraid. Uh, there's a little PTSD with that. And I'm only bringing this up because this is something people really need to stop doing. Um, and I've talked many times about how, you know, people use these, these mental health terms and just throw them around like they're nothing. And, uh, and that's the same thing with PTSD. People are claiming to have suffered trauma. I mean, we've heard it from AOC. She suffered trauma because people, uh, people trespassed in a building next to her own building. And you hear this kind of phrase a lot. Oh, yeah, I got a little bit of PTSD from that. A little smidge of PTSD. No, that's not how it works. You don't have a little smidge, a little sliver of trauma. But trauma is real. PTSD is real. P people can suffer real traumatic events, and it can affect them for the rest of their lives. It can, it can alter their minds in such a way that it's, it's like it's permanent scar tissue on the mind. Um, that certainly can happen. And we can all think of many types of legitimately traumatizing events that a person can suffer. A lot of legitimately traumatizing events happen in the context of war. It's why you hear about people coming home from war and, and suffering PTSD. All of that is real. But um, no, every uncomfortable situation is not traumatic. Even if it's really uncomfortable or embarrassing, you know, every time you're made to feel a little bit of pain, whether emotional or physical, it's not, that's not trauma. But of course, we're also told that you're never allowed to question anybody's trauma. If someone says they suffered trauma, you can't question it. No, I think you definitely can. Especially if someone comes and announces 
If they don't announce it, it's none of it's none of our business. But if they announce it and say, "Oh, I'm I'm uh, I suffered trauma. I'm uh, I'm a trauma victim," you have every, every right to say, "Oh, well, what what happened?" And if they tell you, oh, I, "I was asked an uncomfortable question," you know, or some someone said something to me I didn't like. If that's the answer, I, I think you are well within your rights to say, no, you're not. You're not traumatized, actually. You're not. That's not trauma. You do not get trauma from that. Okay, that's called being uncomfortable. It's unfortunate we all go through it. That's not trauma. You, what you are, see, this is, this is called being weak. Okay? Being unable to deal with uncomfortable situations. That's weakness. You're weak. Being traumatized by actually traumatic events, that's not weakness. That's human. Any human would be. All right. Uh, let's go now to, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead to reading the YouTube comments. Let's, first of all, this is Dana says, I am one of those women who was lied to regarding abortion. I had an abortion when I was 18 and another when I was 21. I was lied to by everyone, including my own mother. I don't blame anyone but myself for my own decisions, however, and I live every day of my life with regret. I pray to God for his forgiveness and to look over the two babies whose lives I needlessly ended. I've since had a daughter who's now a teenager. I've shared my story with her in hopes that she never makes the same mistakes. Thank you for reading my story. Um, well, well, thank you for sharing it, Dana. Speaking of traumatic events, okay, this is something that really does. This, this, and there are many women who are suffering this kind of trauma. Um, and many women who, as I mentioned yesterday, will talk about it like Dana is here, but uh, they're not listened to which is another theme on the show. Um, but, and, and this is why when we talk about abortion, you know, I think the primary villains, I point first and foremost, and of course we're all, we're all responsible for our own actions and whatever we do, we're, you know, the responsibility comes to us. But with abortion, you know, there is this concerted, highly funded effort, conspiracy really, at the highest levels of society. And the abortion industry itself is a billion dollar industry. And they put a lot of money and a lot of time and they've gotten very good at exploiting the fears of young women who go in there. And the first thing they tell young women, and we heard it from Paxton yesterday, who is being celebrated for her bravery, for talking about how her life will be over if she has a kid and she'll need to get an abortion. If she can't get an abortion, then her life is over. Um, and as I said, I don't, I don't really, I didn't really blame her for holding that point of view because this, she's what, 17, 18 years old, and this is what she's been told her whole life, and um, probably by her parents as well, I would guess. Could be wrong about that, but very powerful forces in society are, are, have invested a lot into convincing her of that. And so women go into these clinics and uh, they're given, the message they get is one of just total hopelessness and fear. They've got all these fears and anxieties already, which are understandable, especially if you're a young person, unmarried, you're pregnant. Um, you've got all those fears and anxieties. And then you go into the abortion clinic and what do they do? They, they don't try to allay those fears. They exploit them. They say, oh, you, yeah, you feel like your life's over because of this pregnancy? You're right. It is. And so for, for me, I point to uh, the responsibility lying first and foremost with, with the clinics who are exploiting women like Dana. Um, 
All right, let's go now to Evan. Evan says, only in America can a woman with the last name Cortez lecture the rest of us for having ancestors who colonized people. I always have the same thought whenever Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez comes up, but I, I hesitate to make it because I think Hernan Cortez is one of the greatest heroes of history. So I, I'd be giving AOC way too much credit to draw that connection. Um, but he was a, a colonizer, that's for sure. There's no doubt about that. Turns out not all colonizers are bad. And when you've got a colonizer, a conquistador, um, who is who is defeating a civilization which enslaves and murders and decapitates thousands and thousands of innocent people every year, that's a good thing. The Aztec Empire, as evil as the Nazis, they're in that category. They didn't kill as many people because they didn't have the same kind of technology the same capability to do it. Uh, you know, they were killing people by one at a time, laying them down on a stone slab and cutting their hearts out. Takes a little bit longer to do, but um, yeah. The, 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 the day that the Aztec Empire fell should be one that we celebrate. That should be a, that should be a worldwide global holiday. Uh, let's see. Kyle says, Matt, what are your thoughts on the legalization of psychedelics like psilocybin? I haven't even heard of that. What do I think about legalizing it? I think that's a terrible idea. Um, William says, I've never wanted a child because I'm selfish. I enjoy free time and the ability to travel a lot. But since watching this program more and hearing your beautiful stories and views on fatherhood, I will have at least one child. Well, see that that's encouraging. I like hearing things like that. And uh, But you know something, William? First of all, we're all, all human beings are selfish naturally, and uh, that's that's a that's a an inclination we all have that we have to fight against. We we don't, we, we don't want to say it's natural and give into it, but it's something you have to struggle against. Um, and as as for men, I think you know it's 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 more sort of natural for young women to have this deep craving for motherhood. And of course, they've got. They, they now have society telling them they shouldn't crave that. They shouldn't want that. Instead, they should desire, you know, professional success. And 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 they should dream rather than dreaming of having a baby. They should dream of of sitting in a cubicle because that's the ultimate. You know, that's that's the pinnacle of human existence right there. Um, but for men, you know, and and there are some men who've who've grown up desiring that. I think there are probably fewer men. Um, which is why, but, and yet it's something that men should do. It's something that men, most, most men should do is have kids and be a father. That's why I think we need to introduce again, this concept of, of duty, of responsibility. And as a man, you have certain duties and certain responsibilities that you should accept. And most men are called, not all, but most men are called to be husbands and fathers. Once again, I emphasize not all, but most. That is ultimately where, you're, where, you're, where you will find your purpose, whether you realize it or not. And it's also where you're going to find your fulfillment and your happiness, whether you realize it or not. And it's hard to realize it because when you're a young guy and let's, if you're living alone or something, or if you're living at your parents' house and 
whatever. And your, your whole life is just really self-centered. And it, it's hard to imagine how you could possibly find any enjoyment in living a life of service to another person because that's so foreign to your own experience. Um, but you have to accept that, that, you know, that is the truth. And that's a responsibility we have as men and embrace it. And then once you're in it, you, you discover that, oh, okay, oh, okay, th this is how you enjoy it. I, I, it's hard to know until you're in it. Now checking in with True Bill. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm, I tend to be a forgetful person in general, and so I have this problem, and I know a lot of people do, where you sign up for different subscription services, and then you forget which you've signed up for, uh, along with forgetting your passwords to all of that stuff as well. So it's just a whole mess. That's why you need Truebill. Truebill is the smartest way to manage your finances. It's a very easy to use app. You can review your recurring charges in one place. You can cancel subscriptions directly through the app. And that's an important part of this because a lot of those subscriptions you forget about, you, you're not, you forgot about them because you're not using them and you're just wasting that money. You might as well just be burning it in the front yard. Truebill has a variety of tools to help customers improve their finances. You can create a monthly budget and expenses. You can track and evaluate your savings goals. You can get push notifications when you're getting close to going over your budget, all of that. Um, Truebill works with uh, many of the nation's top providers to negotiate and lower your bills. People think they spend around 80 bucks a month on subscriptions, but actually they spend closer to $200 a month because they're just not keeping track of it. The average person saves $720 per year with Truebill. Get started today at Truebill.com Matt. Take control of your finances and start saving at Truebill.com Matt. That's Truebill.com Matt. And when it comes to exposing the left for the liars they are, Ben Shapiro is commonly known as the best man for the job. And if you want, I thought I was known as the best man for the job. Could I be second best? And if you want to hear him do it in 15 minutes or less, then you're in for a treat because every Saturday, an audio, an audio episode of his new series, Debunked, uh, comes out. And you don't want to miss, if you haven't seen any of the shows or, or, or listened to any of them, uh, you don't want to miss it because it's just very well done. Daily Wire members can get the full 10-episode first season over at dailywire.com. If you're not already a member, you can get 20% off today with code DEBUNKED while the discount lasts. Tomorrow, the audio episode on pro-abortion propaganda drops. That's one that um, I'll, be, I'll certainly be listening to. I hope you do as well. Where Ben destroys the left's moral and scientific reasoning for abortion and discusses why a life begins at conception. You don't want to miss that. Make sure you listen. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we go on a journey and we'll no doubt find many people to cancel along the way. It starts right where I most want to be, up in the sky with the unidentified aerial phenomena, otherwise known as UFOs. The headlines that we've seen regarding this subject over the past 12 hours have been seemingly designed to cause me emotional trauma. Speaking of trauma, here's the New York Times headline, quote, government report finds no evidence UFOs were alien spacecraft. I'm starting to feel some PTSD. Many other headlines making the same declaration. Now, I, I want to read a little bit of this Times article to you. And, I, and please note how the headline is supposedly that there's no evidence of aliens. But the real news to me is quite a bit different. Here's what it says. American intelligence officials have found no evidence that aerial phenomena witnessed by Navy pilots in recent years are alien spacecraft. But they still cannot explain the unusual movements that have mystified scientists and the military, according to senior administration officials briefed on the findings of a highly anticipated government report. The report determines that the vast majority of more than 120 incidents over the past two decades did not originate from any American military or other advanced U.S. government technology. That, that determination would appear to eliminate the possibility that Navy pilots who reported seeing unexplained aircraft 
might have encountered programs the government meant to keep secret. But that's about the only conclusive finding in the classified intelligence report. And while a forthcoming unclassified version expected to be released to Congress by June 25th will present a few other firm conclusions, or rather few other firm conclusions, senior officials uh, briefed on the intelligence conceded that the very ambiguity of the findings meant the government could not definitively rule out theories that the phenomenon observed by military pilots might be alien spacecraft. Okay, so what's the real headline here? It seems to me the headline is that this technology definitely is not our own. Our government has no idea where it's from, and they can't rule out the possibility that it originates from a different solar system. So, so no, the headline is they've ruled out one explanation, and they didn't rule out the alien explanation. So we had a few possible explanations for this. I don't know, three or four. One of them is now gone, and it's not. The alien one is still on the table. We're still alive, alien believers. We're still in business. Now, call me crazy, but the government can't rule out possibility that mysterious foreign technology is from outer space is bigger news than the government has no direct evidence of aliens. Now, both are true, of course, but the former headline seems to capture the news a little bit better, in my opinion. Now, I don't want to focus today on the alien hypothesis only. I've focused on that plenty. I'll continue to give uh, top give to provide top-notch alien content to you in the future as we await the report, which, by the way, I, I did realize a couple days ago to my horror that um, if this report comes out on, on June 25th, I'm not going to be here. I'm going on vacation at the end of the month, and I'll be gone for, you know, like eight or nine days. It'll be just my luck if the damn report comes out, like on the first day of my vacation. Because, you know, if I'm here and the report comes out, we're doing a week on aliens. Oh, yes. It's happening. That'll be just my luck. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to go on vacation. The alien report comes out. And I'm going to have to say to my wife, listen, I got to go. I have something I need to do. And I'm going to have to drive back here and leave her wherever we are so we can talk about aliens. I'm sure she'll understand. Remember, like I told you, my wife is a big believer in aliens. Wink, wink. Now, uh, anyway, for now, though, just for the sake of argument, I want to, I want to take into consideration. Let, let's just take into consideration this idea that uh, putting aliens aside that the flying objects may have more earthly origins. So going back to the Times article, this is what they say about that. Intelligence officials believe at least some of the aerial phenomena could be experimental technology from a rival power, most likely Russia or China. One senior official briefed on the intelligence said without hesitation that U.S. officials knew it was not American technology. He said there was, more, there was worry among intelligence and military officials that China or Russia could be experimenting with hypersonic technology, Russia has been investing heavily in hypersonics, believing the technology offers the ability to evade American missile defense technology. China has also developed hypersonic weaponry and included it in military parades. If the phenomena were Chinese or Russian aircraft, officials said it would suggest that two powers, hypersonic research has far outpaced American military development. Now, as much as I hate to admit it, it does seem that the China-Russia theory is, the, is, is, is maybe the more likely, more plausible explanation. Okay, now that doesn't make the more entertaining alien hypothesis implausible. You know, at least it, the, the Russia-China thing is the more plausible explanation for some of the sightings. We should be keeping in mind that there have been sightings all over the world. 
Um, so this is not just one thing we're talking about. It's not as though every single UFO has to come from the same place, whether that be a place on Earth or elsewhere. But let's really think about the possibility that a foreign country, likely an adversary, an enemy, has developed military technology so advanced that our military has to at least entertain the possibility that it's not even from this planet. This all seems to create a rather frightening context for stories like this from the New York Post. It says, quote, The Pentagon defended the military's diversity and inclusion training programs amid a torrent of criticism, saying they're essential for recruiting the right people in its duty to defend the nation. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby was asked during Tuesday's briefing about GOP lawmakers crafting, um, creating sites, urging whistleblowers in the armed services to expose progressive diversity training programs, some of which have reportedly deemed white people, quote, inherently evil. So that was the question. Let's listen now to John Kirby's answer, explaining why the military needs to focus on diversity and inclusion and tolerance and equity uh, and why that makes us safer. Let's listen. Some Republican lawmakers have been ta uh, attacking various efforts on the diversity inclusion front in the military, complaining about the stand down early order earlier this spring. Some have started a system on social media for active duty troops to file complaints about the so-called woke media military. What is your observation or, or comment on that? Well, these are m members of Congress, uh, Jennifer. We respect their uh, rights and their responsibilities. We certainly respect the, the oversight that uh, the Congress provides. Um, I'm, I'm not going to comment on any specific uh, one initiative that, that members of Congress uh, m might be doing. I think that's more appropriate for them to speak to. What I can speak to uh, is uh, what we're really focused on here at the department, and that's defending the nation. Um, and th that means putting in place uh, the right resources, uh, the right strategies, the right operational concepts to, 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 to do that around the world. So diversity and inclusion are essential to defending our nation, he says. And he's indeed accurately communicating the Defense Department's operating principle. In fact, as the DOD-affiliated website Military One Source explains in a recent article, quote, the diverse makeup of the armed forces is one of its greatest assets. When service members of different races, ethnicities, religions, sexual orientations, and other identities unite for a common mission, the result is a stronger and more effective force. To ensure continued progress, the DoD has established the Independent Defense Advisory Committee on Diversity and Inclusion in the Armed Forces. This committee will continue the work of examining any and all issues that will improve equal opportunity, diversity, and inclusion in the military. Diverse and inclusive ranks are essential to morale, force cohesion, and readiness. Now, as always, there is no attempt to provide evidence supporting the assertion that a diverse and inclusive military is more effective. Whenever anyone in a position of authority is put on the spot about this, they always dissemble, they obfuscate. As the Pentagon spokesman did in the clip we just played, they start talking about how the military needs to find the best people for the job, etc. And yeah, they do. That's the point. But what they don't explain is how the military finds the most talented and competent people for the job by hiring and recruiting based on something other than talent and competence. If you care more about finding the best people, then you would simply recruit and train the best people, whatever they look like, whatever sex they might be. If you end up with a diverse military as a byproduct of your focus on skill and competence, then great. If you, let's say, end up with a military comprised almost entirely of straight men, that's great too. However it shakes out is fine because the people you have on board are the best of the best. Diversity, again, should be a byproduct, if anything, not the goal, not a litmus test. But that's not how our military's top brass 
see it. They're putting out ads featuring sorority girls with lesbian moms, and the CIA is bragging about hiring women with anxiety disorders, and they're sending military members and intelligence officers to mandatory sensitivity training courses and critical race theory brainwashing sessions because they believe that the ultimate mission of these institutions is to support progressive social causes. That's what they believe. Meanwhile, China and Russia are finding the very best and toughest people that their nations have to offer and setting them to the task of defending their country and expanding their empires and even potentially developing technology that looks like it's from another galaxy. In comparison with that, we are committing an act of national suicide. We're not the first nation to kill itself, but we may be the first to do it so intentionally and abruptly and quickly and through such bizarre means. In short, I would like to once again send out a plea to the aliens to take me with you before you leave to go back to your home planet. Because I know eventually you're leaving. Because you're, you, you got to be sick of this. And please allow my wife and kids to come too. I haven't consulted them about this, but I think they'll adjust and uh, ultimately they'll thank me for it and everyone will be better off. Um, as for who I'm canceling, well, I guess the Pentagon, the media for continuing to doubt the alien hypothesis, just canceling everyone, which is, which is how I like to, to end uh, every week on a Friday. And we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Hey, everybody. This is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. <laughs>